Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday, 12 noon on the dot, uh, to promote public education. And in doing so, we also have to promote two other things. We have to promote the cessation of state aid to private schools and the separation of religion from the state. Because unfortunately, when you are pro-something, sometimes you also have to be anti-something. But the dogs are very, very much pro-public education, and that is education that's public in purpose and outcome. And above all, it is public in access. It is accessible to every child and every employee, regardless of their race, their religion, their culture, anything else. It is non-discriminatory. And that is why, in our press release this week, we will be talking about the Religious Discrimination Bill in considerable length. And we hope that you will stick with us on this one because freedom of conscience is the most basic right that one can have, but also freedom from discrimination on religious grounds is very much the other side of that coin. And unfortunately, in Australia, there are billions and billions of dollars given every year to schools or institutions which discriminate, which means they exclude. So it is a troubled area, but the dogs are quite certain where their position is. So here it is. Press release 811. Religious discrimination bill, a dog's breakfast that pleases no one. The Religious Discrimination Bill pleases no one. But then, how could it? The dog's position on the Coalition's Religious Discrimination Bill is the following. It should be unnecessary, and it is in fact a danger to religious liberty. The basic human right of conscience or religious liberty is, or we should say was, covered in Section 116 of the Australian Constitution until this was read down and out by the Australian High Court in the Dogs case in 1981. So if anybody knows about it, it is in fact the Dogs. A shield became a sword and the private religious schools sold their basic rights for a mess of state aid pottage. Power over their schools with taxpayer funding unquestioned meant more than freedom of conscience for them. And the full story of what happened in the Dogs High Court case is found on our website www.adogs.info under the High Court case. Unfortunately for religious schools, there are dangers in taking the Queen's shilling. Whereas public schools enrol all children and employ all qualified employees, church schools wish to exclude both children and employees on the basis of religious belief or, nowadays, sexual preference. 
Dogs, who believe in separation of religion from the state, are concerned that the Commonwealth should see fit to be involved in any way with religious belief or unbelief. They are concerned that this bill would introduce reverse blasphemy laws. Political correctness, in the end, is a form of blasphemy sometimes. In the last few years, privileges enjoyed by Christian churches in this country have been substantially questioned, if not eroded. They have themselves and their hypocrisy in part to blame for this. But in the last year, the same-sex marriage referendum woke proud men in their theological halls up with a shock, and they demanded safeguards against the pagans knocking at their institutional and church school gates. The result is this religious discrimination bill, a dog's breakfast if ever there was one. And the submissions to the Attorney-General made on this bill by a large number of organisations indicate that it pleases no one. So that's what this press release is about. It's about these submissions by different people. Churches, rationalists and legal experts, none of them are happy. Human rights and LGBT equality groups have also lined up to criticise the bill particularly provisions which allow medical practitioners to refuse treatment on religious grounds and exempt statements of belief from state and federal anti-discrimination laws. So what exactly does this bill say? The Religious Discrimination Bill protects expression of religious speech in good faith by stating that such speech does not constitute discrimination under Commonwealth, state or territory anti-discrimination law. So the Commonwealth is trying to override, override a state law, which it can do. The provision does not protect statements that are malicious, would harass, vilify or incite hatred or violence against a person or group or which advocate for the commission of a serious criminal offence. Well, the churches have got concerns. According to The Guardian, on October the 1st, in the last week, 2019 that is, the Anglican Church Diocese of Sydney's submission warned that although the bill said religious bodies did not discriminate by conduct that could reasonably be regarded as in accordance with their faith, the exemption did not apply to bodies engaging solely or primarily in commercial activities. And of course a lot of churches do. This meant that bodies such as Anglicare Sydney, which runs retirement villages and aged care services, and Anglican Youth Works, which provides Christian outdoor education, would not attract the exemption. The person who wrote it, this um, particular uh, submission, uh, Mr Stead, warned that the commercial activities test was highly arbitrary and there were no good arguments for treating specialist religious bodies which collect fees while pursuing a religious purpose differently from those that offer all their services through one body. The flaw, he said, had very significant implications, making it unlawful for Anglican Youth Works to recruit only Christians as outdoor educators and to reject an application for the First Church of Satan to hold a black mass at one of its campsites or for a Christian residential university college to give any preference to Christian students. He noted the Israel Folau case, which bans employers from setting codes of conduct that indirectly discriminate on the grounds of religion and exempts large employers only if they can show they would suffer unjustifiable financial hardship, describing the intention as commendable, uh, was still not happy with it. He said that the current form of this clause may have the perverse effect of encouraging the restriction of religious freedom by third-party sponsors. For example, Qantas in relation to Rugby Australia or social media boycotts, for example, of Cooper's Brewer to create financial hardship, 
which would enable conduct that would otherwise be unlawful discrimination. He proposed defining unjustifiable financial hardship and making it unlawful to incite religious discrimination by making threats of financial detriment. So these churches are very interested in their financial commercial operations, aren't they? They want to continue them and still discriminate. Very interesting. Now, the Freedom for Faith, that's a group uh, of uh, youth people, they said that much of the bill was very good, including general provisions for protection of people of faith from discrimination in Commonwealth law, but they warned of unintended consequences. Well, if you get into this area and you start making uh, discrimination legislation, I assure you, you're going to get unintended consequences. This is why the dogs don't think that the Commonwealth should be in it at all. They warned that exemptions in the bill did not cover situations where there is merely a preference to employ practising Catholics or practising Christians more generally. Furthermore, they're concerned that even if a Catholic school or other charity did have a policy of only employing Catholic staff, which of course they have, it would only be lawful if this could reasonably be regarded as in accordance with the doctrines, tenets, beliefs and teaching of Catholicism. So the Catholic group agreed with the Sydney Anglican submission that there would be a bizarre and profoundly damaging outcome if Christian publishers and youth camps were unable to advertise for Christian staff as a result of the bill. Well, dear listeners, all you have to do is to go to the um, the Herald Sun or the Age every Saturday morning and look at the uh, advertisements for Catholic schools to see that there is a religious uh, discrimination uh, or requirement in the employment in a large numbers of the institutions, not just in the schools either. Now, the submission uh, by the Anglicans noted that although the bill exempted statements of religious belief from anti-discrimination law, the protection did not apply to statements that vilify others and said, oh, that's unclear. And we've got a bit of vilification in the last week against uh, one little girl called Greta Thurberg, I think it is, uh, by a gentleman well, he didn't mention her name uh, from a Christian school in New South Wales. So, uh, yeah, this is all... We're really in the realm of free speech, amongst other things. There's also the prospect that secular companies could define staff refraining from discussing religion at work as an inherent requirement of the job, allowing them to discriminate against religious people when they were hiring them. And uh, he took, they took aim at Porter's decision to delay the Australian Law Reform Commission's inquiry into the related issues of religious institutions' exemptions to discrimination law, calling on him to expedite the process to ensure that they can reasonably conduct their affairs in a way consistent with their religious ethos. So you see, dear listeners, by asking for this particular discrimination legislation, they've got themselves into a little bit of a bind because this legislation is not as strong as the exemptions which they already had under exemption law. You have to be very careful about what you ask for when you're dealing with religious liberty. They would be much better advised to go back to the Constitution and have a look at Section 116 and what it really means. So uh, this is all very interesting. Well, let's have a look at what the rationalists have got to say. The Rationalist Society also made a submission, and you can see it uh, if you go to our website or to their website. And it's a very, very long and uh, very thoughtful submission because uh, Meg Wallace has written a very interesting book on international human rights. She is an expert. She got her PhD in this area. So I, I suspect that uh, some of her, her writings have influenced what the rationalists in New South Wales have had to say. Uh, 
they said that while they were critical of many aspects of the bill, there are some of its provisions that they do approve of. Um, the RSA, that's the Rationalist Society of Australia, isn't opposed in principle to a law that acts as a shield against discrimination on the basis of religion and belief. But they do not support a law that may be used as a sword to impose religious belief or to inflict harm or to punish those who abandon or change their religion. However, without stronger protections for freedom from religion, this bill will end up being, in effect, in effect, a sword to attack the increasing number of Australians who are non-religious. 30% of Australians respond to no religion in the 2016 census, up from 19% a decade previously. I mean, there would be some Christians also who would say that they do not want to be labelled religious um, because they would say that Christ himself did not. Well, he was, he was crucified by religious men, uh, but they would say that they are interested in living a Christ-like life rather than being, quote, religious. But um, that, that is uh, also... All of these people in Australia, 30% of them, who say they do not want to be identified with any religious group. Now, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the trend towards non-religion is accelerating and those who live their lives in ways some religion is subject to are increasing in Australia. It will act... Uh, this bill will act to give a positive right to religionists to impose their views on others, but not an equal and opposite right for the non-religious to quietly enjoyment, to quiet enjoyment of their lives free from aggressive religious interference. So they want stronger protections for freedom from religion. And without that, they say that this bill will end up being in effect a sword to attack the increasing number of Australians who are non-religious and those who live their lives in ways that some religionists object to. They're also disturbed that the bill includes a series of provisions that go well beyond what is found in other federal anti-discrimination laws because these particular provisions in this bill unfairly privilege religion over other protected attributes such as race, age, disability and sex. Such provisions do not belong in discrimination law and should be removed and referred to the Law Reform Commission or abandoned altogether. And in particular... The bill has a number of clauses that exist only because of particular events that have in the past year involved high-profile Christians in positions of power and privilege. And these provisions have come to be known as the Falau Clause, which is the, um, the rugby union players' Falau business. And that's Clause 8.3. And the other one is the Porteous Clause, which is the Archbishop of Hobart, Porteous, who um, asked the schools to uh, be against same-sex marriage. He sent out um, a, a pamphlet to the schools. And there was the question of an anti-discrimination case against him. And that is Clause 41. In the case of Archbishop Porteous, the system worked. They withdrew. A complaint was made about statements he made, but mediation worked and the complaint was withdrawn. But there's no justification because of this for a law that purports to protect against something that didn't even happen. And in the case of Falau, huge resources are being applied to employ the best possible legal advice and the system is working its way through to a conclusion that one hasn't finished yet. Falau is using existing religious discrimination protections found in the Federal Fair Work Act to argue his case, and the present bill is an ill-conceived attempt to circumvent a possible outcome of an existing legal system. So 
Uh, just a knee-jerk reaction to particular cases, I assure you, makes very bad law. Further, it's proposed to amend the Charities Act to positively protect expressions of support for a traditional view of marriage as only being, being between a man and a woman, despite no legal decision that threatens a charity's status for saying so. And that is just overreaction. And quite rightly, they argue, as the dogs would, that good law is not written out of bad cases. Now, I suggest that you read further because there's a very interesting discussion and we put it on our website, but this discussion is from the rationalists on the relationship of this uh, Discrimination Act to international law. And that's where I assure you the rationalists know their stuff because Meg Wallace is the acknowledged Australian expert in this area. Uh, and they write, as made very clear by the United Nations Human Rights Committee's General Comment 22, the official interpretation of Article 18 of the International Convention on Civil and Political Rights, the right to freedom of religion is not meant to accord religion a privileged place in international human rights law. Rather, while commonly abbreviated in discussion to freedom of religion, Article 18 of the ICCPR, which is the International Convention on Civil and Political Rights, is meant to cover theistic, non-theistic and atheistic beliefs, as well as the right not to profess any religion or belief. And General Comment 22 clarifies that freedom to have or adopt a religion or belief depends on the freedom to choose a religion or belief. And this means that children should be provided education upon a range of religions and beliefs, not indoctrinated into one religion only. And General Comment 22 also clarifies that some restrictions on the right to manifest religion or belief are acceptable particularly where they protect rights to equality and non-discrimination. But restrictions may not be imposed for discriminatory purposes or applied in a discriminatory manner. And this means that the dog's position, that religious schools that take state money particularly, should not have the right to discriminate against any child on the basis of religion or non-religion, uh, is in fact you know, an international requirement and uh, we should cease giving state aid or charitable status to any school that discriminates on these grounds. Now that is the churches are against this bill, the rationalists are against this bill and there's a third, oh the LGBTI people are against this bill but the Law Council of Australia is against this bill. Now, we'll have a little bit of a break and a bit of music because this is pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? And we'll come back and I'll tell you about what, what the Law Council has to say about this bill. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Kevin Hines Grow delivers gardening and nature-based programs to people of all ages and all abilities. Our programs provide great opportunities for positive personal development and well-being. The Kevin Hines Grow 40th Anniversary Spring Festival will be held on Saturday the 19th of October, 9am to 3pm at 39 Weatherby Road, Doncaster. Come along and stock up on a huge variety of tomatoes and vegetable seedlings, fruit trees, perennials and more at our community nursery. 
a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the dogs. 8.55 on the, a, on the AM dial. Here we are in 3CR every Saturday at 12 noon. And we thank you for listening to us and letting our, our information come into your house. Uh, I was speaking before the break about the, the religious discrimination bill that nobody seems to agree on. And we have gone through the LGBTI people, we've been through the rationalists, and we've been through the Anglicans and the Catholics. They're all unhappy about it. But the final group that are unhappy about it, and this interests me, I suppose, the most, is the Law Council of Australia. The president of the Law Council of Australia, a gentleman called Arthur Moses, spoke about this bill, this religious discrimination bill, at the National Press Club in Canberra on Wednesday the 2nd of October this week, last week, going back. And on the 4th, what he said was reported in the Guardian newspaper. And Moses noted that the bill doesn't carry the same type of protection as Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act in relation to offensive behaviour. Section 18C prohibits speech that offends, insults or humiliates a person based on their race. And that is not in this particular discrimination bill. The exclusion provision in terms of being able to say what you want based on religious belief is narrower in relation to what will fall foul of the legislation and not be protected by the provisions of the Act, he said. The Law Council are troubled by the shifting sands approach when it comes to religion as opposed to race and they don't think the government has thought through consistency in this legislation because it's a bad idea when you're adopting a shifting sands approach. He noted the effect was that Section 18C protections do not apply to religious beliefs unless they are likely to harass or vilify a person based on race. The concept of offence and insult in Section 18C is not to be found in this legislation. So the test is much more difficult to establish in relation to provisions of the Religious Freedom Bill than what is currently contained in the Racial Discrimination Act, he said. This is an area where we have said you need to be very careful because some comments that are made do have an impact on the most vulnerable members of our community. Moses noted that the bill still allowed employers to adopt a conduct rule that indirectly discriminates based on religion and prohibits religious speech if they would otherwise suffer, quote, unjustifiable financial hardship. And he said, that's a very interesting concept. Unjustifiable financial hardship. Think about it. There's a mirage of freedom of speech, but it's confined by the employer's bottom line. I think that's silly, with all due respect. So it um, makes uh, puts a price on religious freedom, doesn't it? He said that religious expression was not defined in the bill, accusing the government of legislation done on the run to deal with the case of Israel Folau, who was sacked by Rugby, Rugby Australia for social media posts stating that he believes homosexuals, among others, are going to hell. Moses also noted that the bill could also expressly protect medical practitioners who refuse to perform abortions on the grounds of conscience. Well, what's the political situation in all of this? Do you think this bill's going to get up? Jackie Lambie says that she says no case for religious discrimination. So, let's, let's just sit back and watch this work itself out, shall we? And let's have a bit of a break from this uh, very, very, very difficult subject. But we make no apology for uh, demanding that you exercise your, your brain on this because it is a very important question and it does relate to public education because we believe that the one right that children have is to an education and nobody 
but nobody should deny them that. And if a religious school denies a child an education on the basis of religious discrimination, then that's not good enough. And if they wish to do that, then the parents and the churches who do this should be prepared to pay for it. The dogs aren't quite at the situation where we say that we would ban private schools, but our position is that we would not give state aid to such schools. If they want to be independent and have religious freedom, then some freedoms have got to be paid for. And that is our position. So let's have a bit of a break again, and then we'll get on to Robert. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Well, Robert, we've just been uh, discussing the Religious Discrimination Bill and how it really satisfies nobody and how how dangerous it is for the state to become involved in religious matters, which, in fact, are very private. And, uh, yes, I was just wondering how you would react to um, young Greta Thurberg being branded a little girl with mental problems in a Coffs Harbour School newsletter. By the principal, no less. Yes, I I find this extremely sad. Um, uh, The principal has every right to his own view and people have a right to a view that... um, that God's in control of, of what's happening, but um, there's a lot of evidence that uh, human beings have uh, been doing things with the with the uh, with the earth, with the with God's creation, if you like. But um, this is rather sad when he feels not only that he should put this religious view to the children of the school, but in the process he should put down an, a little girl a little 16-year-old girl who has really been doing some quite remarkable things. He called her a little girl from Scandinavia who was promoting, quote, doomsday waffle talk. And um, quite rightly, he says that no-one knows when the final wind-up of the world will be. Yeah, I'm just going to stop you there, Jean, because nobody knows when the world's going to end and everyone's entitled to their opinion. And... um. Well, kind of both of those things are true, but there are people who have a very strong opinion about the world going around, and they tend to be people who have very strong religious views, not probably dissimilar to this principle. I think this principle is, is, is implying or telling us that he has very strong religious views. I, I just I, I find it extraordinary that in any attack there seems to be on what Greta Thurberg has said, there's always no substance to it, but they are attacking the fact that she's the one that said it. Um, which I find disappointing. Yes, I find this extremely disappointing. He he urged people not to listen to her, saying that she was, quote, and I quote, a little girl with self-declared various emotional and mental problems that she thinks give her a special insight into impending doom. Well, I'm not sure that she actually says that. And, no, um, no, categorically and then, not. And then he more or less lumps her in with, quote, false prophets. So I find it just very sad, and I don't think he has done himself any favours at all. I think some other... Well, oh, I think people. he's projecting, because a girl just got up and said something. And what she said was powerful enough to resonate with a very large number of people, and he seems to be at odds with not just the content of what she's saying, but that someone like her could or should be listened to. That in itself is wrong. Well, the interesting Um, thing... ...children by just saying, be quiet, you're a child. That's Um, interesting. If you are talking, that means there's something wrong with you. Is, um... Well, I don't know. I don't even know if it's sad, but it's reflective of the person that says it. It doesn't bear any relevance to to any real debate about the question. Or certainly about the questions that she 
this is the same person actually who came under fire in 2004 for a leaflet attacking state schools. So um, he certainly got very, very firm opinions. But I'm not quite sure that taxpayers would want to be... um, He's entitled to these opinions, of course, but uh, I'm not sure that uh, taxpayers should be subsidising... these people. Yes. That, that is well, our position. I think in the end he's entitled to his opinions, but if his opinions don't make up, match up with, with scientists who Greta is just quoting, and Greta is just saying there is a, an almost universal consensus on this, and in human affairs there's never a total consensus. He's actually not arguing with her at all. He's, she's, he's, she's, he's arguing with the most distinguished scientists in the world who have come to the conclusion that Greta happens to repeat, um, and he should pick on them if he's going to pick anyone, quite frankly, because that is who he's disagreeing with. She's just the messenger. She's just repeating what what was they said. She's not making anything up. <laughs> she's, she's quoting an orthodoxy, so, saying that water it? is yeah. wet, and if, unless we look after where we live, we're going to be in serious trouble. So. Well, quite frankly, we're talking about this because a school principal whose wages are paid by me yeah. and paid by you, a taxpayer, feels free to express his opinions, which are contrary to the scientific consensus. So, um, I don't think it's right that um, I should be paying his wages to go around saying these things. I think that's inappropriate. Yes, I think that is actually our position. Okay, yeah. well, uh, yes, you've got some other very interesting material that you wanted to talk about. Uh, uh, state school parents aren't entirely happy with the uh, Andrews government at the moment. Yeah, up in regional Victoria, Jane, um, in Shepparton, or Shep, if you live there, just in the, to the north of Melbourne, and what they're doing is they're closing three secondary schools and merging them into a fourth, um, which will in, in the Shepparton, Shepparton Marupna area. A mega and, school. Um, what's that? A mega school. Actually, they're calling it a super school. So oh. they've gone back to the 70s. Goodness mm. me. Um, and as you know, if you close the school, then you sort of the community itself suffers immensely. And, you know, larger schools aren't necessarily an answer to a better education, that's for sure. Um, now, there was a rally um, up in Shepparton on Friday, a very successful rally that actually marched from Susanna Sheed's office uh, and then goes down to Wendy Lovells. So you get all the politicians, federal and state, um, from all the letters from all the people who were sick and tired of it. They marched down through Wyndham Street to Queen's Garden and Shepparton, and they had speeches and informations. It all went very well, actually. Um, that happened just, just Friday. It happened yesterday. Um, and all the people got together... Um, in a good old-fashioned march and rally to support state schools in Shepherd. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful thing that such things still happen. Uh, the, the Internet's not the only place where people get to express their opinions. Walking up and down the streets of Shepherd and shouting is also a really good idea if you want to support the state schools. So congratulations to all those people in Shepherd. Well, we certainly hope that it, uh, it persuades Mr Andrews that perhaps the voters up there... Aren't, um, aren't rusted on and that uh, perhaps those Marupna people and the other people who have communities and their schools really matter uh, that they've yeah. got to be listened to. Yeah. Um, I think, well, it's interesting because in, I say it's not in comparison because this isn't the compare and contrast thing but um, having people on the street expressing their views is in fact a very important even in this day and age, um, because so much of the world seems to be sort of marketed out on the internet and all that sort of stuff, and the truth of the world or whatever it is um, seems to be presented to us in all sorts of ways that are deeply controlled, which brings me to a really interesting article. Um, I don't know, Jane, if, if you've noticed, but in the last 10 years or so around Melbourne, if you drive around or walk around or even sort of internet around, you'll find lots and lots of advertisements for private schools. You'll find them on hoardings above, um, above above freeways. My taxes uh, at work. Yeah, you'll find them on the sides of buses. You'll find them on the sides of trams. You'll find them on billboards all all, all around the city. Um, advertising this private school or that private school, saying it's a wonderful thing and your child will do it the best if you send them here. And you know they they have they have advertisements. Not doing them any good. Their enrolments are going down. It is indeed. Uh, well, there's been an interesting PhD thesis done. Oh. 
And I think it's a really interesting one. It's been done by a guy called Trevor, um, and he's at Deakin University, and his name's Dr. Trevor, Trevor McCandless. Mm. And he's analysed all of the advertisements that sell private education to parents. And as you know, the one thing that you know, private schools use most to sell whatever it is they're doing is um, insecurity in one form or another. If you don't give us the money, then, you're, then you don't love your child. If you don't give us the money, then your child won't have an advantage. But I think it's absolutely fascinating that in his PhD he found something really interesting. That in the visual images that promote schools around Victoria, um, the visual images depict blonde girls. Blonde girls, yeah. in most of the pictures, are in focus. <laughs> Studious kids um, are the Asian kids. And white boys um, get to do sport. <laughs> the study of the images used in promotional material of, of Victorian schools is found. The blonde girls are the ones that are in focus. The studious kids are the Asian ones, and white boys go around kicking things. Wow. I think that's really interesting. Mm. Uh, now, the Catholic and independent schools, he's done, because obviously it's only Catholic and independent schools that do the majority of the advertising, because that's how they choose to spend their money. Now, what the schools are doing here is what they think the best guess at what parents find attractive for their children. The darker a student's skin the less likely they are to be at the centre of attention of an image, or indeed even in focus in the image. Mm. Now, while schools rarely uh, mentioned ethnicity in any form of written text, Dr McCandless's thesis found that they uniformly picked images in their perspectives and videos that suggested unconscious stereotypes, resulting in a colour-coded hierarchy that is repeated over and over again in pretty much every private school had to the point of tedium. There are no images in any school advertisement of non-white or non-Asian students shown just standing around in a group. Hmm. Frequently, the only black-skinned students shown in any form of marketing material is used to illustrate forms of disadvantage. analyzed 31 secondary and primary schools, um, private schools in Victoria. The schools range from the most educationally disadvantaged government schools, described below or above, to the most educationally advantaged private schools. Um, if the kids need being studious, um, they show Asian girls, he says. Wow. If they need kids cooperating, it's a white child helping a non-white child. Never the other way around. Mm. If it's a photo of kids playing sport, it'll be a white boy. And there are remarkably few images of Asian boys showing, playing, showing playing sport at all. Wow. Not even, yeah. not even children from the islands, or the, the island children aren't... Uh, oh, we're talking out. about marketing here. We're talking yes. about marketing here. Yes, yes. And he does, he does actually mention this occurs across all school sectors, even, indeed, state schools, some state schools. And this is regardless of how many non-English speaking background kids there actually are attending the schools. Hmm. It's Dr. McCann's research found stark differences in how marketing materials differ according to the social class, gender and ethnicity of the students, and they were only about how the children are portrayed. There are actually fewer girls attending most schools, but more girls were shown photos. <laughs> and only elite schools, and this is great, I think this is fascinating research, only elite schools show children and students laughing. Laughing? Laughing. <laughs> Below average government schools were the only ones to stress Victorian's vocational high schools, particularly VCAL. So it's only government schools that even talk about VCAL or vocational education and training at all. Wow. And because he's analysed the text as well. It's just so classist. <laughs> it's just amazing, isn't it? It is. It's so overt. It's... Yeah. Oh. The lower average government schools spoke of post-school employment pathways four times more than elite schools. 
which means you know if you got to, if you got to talk about it, that means you haven't got it. Mm. Only government schools on their websites, and I'm sure it's mentioned homework at all. Fascinating yeah. stuff. This is, this is material oh, no, 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 for no, 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 the no, no. ABC Gruen program, isn't it? There's more. There's more. Oh, yes, I'm all ears. Elite schools are the only schools to mention the innate ability of students. Innate. <laughs> yeah. And now we really are getting into class, aren't we? Yes. Oh, this, this, this is great. When the elite schools mention teachers, they are most likely to refer to them as employees and emphasise their skills in developing students' abilities. And elite schools were much more likely to speak of the respect shown to students rather than respect displayed by students. Hmm. Value for money. <laughs> and interestingly, there was, there was interesting similarities across the marketing campaigns of all schools. Almost no mention of cost. Almost no mention of the role of parents. So that's where we are here in 2019 in Victoria. It's shocking, isn't it? Well, it was a very interesting exercise that this gentleman did. I'm, I'm very happy that he got his PhD for that. Because I, it's I, very I, original and informative. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually... All, all of this work has been brought to my attention by Madeleine Heffernan um, in the Age newspaper website on October 3rd this year. So thank you, Madeline. It's a good bit of journalism. It's a very good bit of... I find that... Well, I don't find it surprising because I have noticed... I don't know about you, I have noticed all these ads popping up all over the place. Mm. Saying, buy our school, buy our school, buy our school, buy our school. And the sort of mechanics of that process has now been unpicked by Trevor McCandless. So thank you very much, Dr. Trevor. <laughs> You've done a great job. Well, perhaps it is time that since we pay for these schools, we just don't bother buying them. We just take them over and we stop all this advertising, which is a terrible waste of money. It's got nothing to do with the education of the nation's children. Hmm. It's got everything exactly to do with right. commercialisation of um, a person, a child's right. Um, yeah, a very sad situation for our country to be in indeed. Well, anyway, we have our own little marketing bit here on on. on on 3CR. Let's have our great state school from you, Robert. Yeah, thanks for that, Jay. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Our great state school this week, I'm very happy to say, I mean, it's very similar to our great state school last week. Um, I was talking about the um, Glenwater Education Unit up there in the north of Melbourne. And I'm focusing this week on a really interesting great state school called the Western Autistic School. It's in the Western Melbourne, it's out there in Laverton. And it's exactly the sort of thing a state school does that the private school can't. It doesn't want to, it's got no idea about. It's actually taking students who have... Autism. Now, autism is a very big category. You have low functioning, you have high functioning. It's just an extraordinary. It's not even a category. It's just a, a broad way of describing certain children and people as well, but children in this case, who have issues, certainly emotional issues, language issues, learning issues, social communication issues, and academic issues in mainstream schools. And what the Western Autistic School, and I think it's really interesting. Um, is that it integrates what they do with the local schools at the same time. It's a very complicated and fascinating process, and I really want to share it with you because some of these kids really benefit from what my taxes do to pay for this place, and I'm very happy for my taxes to pay for this place. <laughs> and so our great state school of the week is the Western Autistic School. Now, it is a state school. It's government-funded. They offer actually short-term, really intensive open pathway options now, who are the students? Um, they go from prep to grade three. So these are 300 plus young children, uh, very young children, 
some cases from PrEP to grade 3 who, who are on autism spectrum disorder and are not surviving in a normal school for all sorts of reasons. As I say, communication, emotional issues, language, learning, academic skills. At some point it's been identified that these children do need some help. And this is not help that's going to go for the rest of their life. This is just to get them in a process where they can go to and move on to and be part of their local community, their local neighbourhood school. And so what the Western Pacific School does is it does the initial stuff, but then it follows the children out. So as a school, it's not just buildings and and playgrounds. As a school, it actually is the people reaching out in to follow the children who've been with them into these schools as they go through. Now, who are these people? Who are these people that make up this school? Well, they teach in teams, and they're supported by, guess what, scientists, expert therapists, and they walk in, and they work in small groups of children, sometimes even individually. They use research-driven, proven teaching practice. They use individual learning plans developed for each individual child in consultation, and here you get it, between the parents and the staff together. Mm. So many parents with something like autism are the foundation of the knowledge in terms of how, in terms of what is best for a child. Mm. And that is recognised at a really foundational level by the school and its practice. Now the teaching of the child, it actually follows, at even a very young age, and I think this is fascinating, the child's own interests and motivations. Mm. Which means it's not just parents and staff, it's parents and staff and the children themselves that create these individual education plans that help them reintegrate back into the, into the world of education. Now at this school they believe the children will learn new skills and self-esteem for developing their strengths, even at this early age, things that interest them, things that motivate them. They emphasise the welfare of course, inclusion and happiness of each child, which flows Now, the Western Autism School was set up not so long ago, but is actively involved in the research and training of teachers from around the world. So it is a world's best practice school, so not only does it have a function of looking after the kids, it has a function of being involved in cutting-edge research and training for other teachers who come across these issues. It actually has a dedicated research staff unit and is, in fact, a registered training organisation for the Autism Teaching Institute. Hmm. It provides postgraduate qualifications with, with various universities. Hmm. All of these things. All of these things are happening at the school at the same time. This is a great state school. Hmm. So, in general, how are the kids doing? Well, it's around about 100... There's around about 90 full-time children of teaching. There's around about 360 people in the school, both in the school and in the outreach areas. 60% of the kids come from a language background other than English, and they do have a small number of Indigenous kids there as well. The kids come from all walks of Australian life, rich and poor alike. The average ICSIA value of all schools in Australia is 1,000. The average ICSIA value for this school is 1,000. It just goes to show that um, autism is not a rich person's disease in Victoria, which is... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like, it's, it's not a rich person's disorder. It's not a disease at all. So yeah. I, I correct myself. It doesn't discriminate. It does not. Um, the attendance rate at this place is 90%. Wow. This is for students with, um, you know, with a whole range of autism spectrum disorders and, and processes and hyper and hypo-sensitivities. How much does it cost me? Mm. Well, it costs $55,000 per student. Mm. Now, that, of course, includes all the training that goes on in the place as well. So not only is it a function of school, but it takes a, a regional training institute, and people come from all over the world to, to come here. So quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, um, actually, I don't care how much it costs. Mm. Mm. I really don't. Um, I don't think we can call ourselves civilised if we just leave these children to rot. Exactly. You just, you just can't. Um, and so we can't call ourselves a society that's worth anything if we leave these children to rot. And we don't, and we can't. And do you know who picks up, picks up, these, picks up this issue 
and does this training and works with these children so that they can then go to primary schools and have fulfilling and educational lives and then go on to have fulfilling lives within themselves and their own communities. Well, that's my responsibility. I pay for it. It's a state school. Yeah. It's a state school. And I'm going to say it again. I have to keep saying, so many people tell me, oh, state schools, they're all the same. You know, mm. they're all the same. Oh, I'm not going to put my child through that. It's just a cookie-cutter approach to education. Mm. No, it's not. Well, that's the thing. You can tell that they don't listen to the dogs, can't you, when they say things like that? Because each yeah. each week you've highlighted um, so many different types of educational responses to um, educational needs um, with, within the state school system. It's 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 a rainbow. It's not a monolith. You know? It is. So. In this school, I would like to, in very particular, I'd like to thank Mary Thompson, who's the principal, and Sam Hines, who's the principal out there in Laverton, and Paige Davey, who's the assistant principal. There's another campus in Midway as well, further out west. Mm. And Liz Richardson runs that. And, of course, they have various leading teachers, which is a wonderful thing to have. They're not vice principals as such. They're leading teachers. Teaching is what they do. Training is what they do, both with the kids, of course both for the kids and, in fact, the people who come to learn what they're going on because what happens at the Western Autistic School is absolutely right. <laughs> well, that's the end of the DOGS program. If you'd like to research us and disagree with us or agree with us or just find out more, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info www.adogs.info or you can get hold of us at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Or indeed, if you do know a great state school in your local area, please call during office hours and just, you don't even have to leave your name, just leave the name of the school saying, attention, Robert from the dogs, can you have a look at, and just leave the name of the school. You can do that by calling on 9419 8377. 9419 8377 during office hours, and someone will pick up and go, hello, here's the R, and you can let them know a great state school. But until next week, it's been great to have you company. Until next week, when the struggle has to go on, because we've still got problems in our education system and the dogs are here to fix them. Um, until next week, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joey here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find Joe, you're ten years dead. I never 
deutsche Sie. 